Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Hey everybody, welcome to episode one on this series on telehealth. Given the current light of the situation here where many healthcare clinics and practices have moved into virtual models of delivery, of service delivery, given the COVID-19 crisis, I figured it would be worthwhile to include interviews with some clinicians who are boots on the ground folks who have taken their practices, sometimes pivoted entirely online or into the virtual telehealth space or into blended models and get them to share you some insights about how they got started, things to be aware of. Uh, my guest today is Cynthia Weinberger. She's a occupational therapist and a certified hand therapist down in Florida. She took her business basically overnight over the course of the weekend and went from serving patients in a clinic on Friday to doing entirely virtual and telehealth on Monday. So she offered some pretty good strategies for how to get a quick turnaround time when it came to putting telehealth in place in your practice. Um, She also offered some great tips on how to recreate the environment or the context or the setting of an in-clinic treatment over the interwebs or in the virtual space. So hopefully you enjoy this interview. Hopefully you find it informative and you pull some practical tips away. With no further ado, let's get on to the, let's get on the interview. Hello, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great. great. Tell, Tell me a little bit about yourself, kind of just your background, I know you've been a CHT and you've been working with hands for a, for a number of years. So just talk yeah. to me a little bit about your career path and then kind of what led you into telehealth. Okay, great. Um, so I'm an occupational therapist. I've been an OT for 31 years now. Awesome. And um, so I've worked in a variety of different settings, uh, probably pretty much every setting except pediatrics. I mean, I've been in acute care and rehab and um, skilled nursing facilities, outpatient clinics, all different environments, a home care as well throughout my career. And uh, back in 2006, I decided I really wanted to specialize in hands. I mean, it took a long time to make that decision, primarily because of the need to find the right opportunity in order to learn, in order to become a certified hand therapist. You really need mentorship and support and um, not always easy to find the right role for that. So um, around 2006, I started working in hand therapy. 2010, I became a certified hand therapist. So been about 10 years of, of, well, really more like 14 years of doing exclusively hand therapy. Um, Relocated to Florida. So I had a lot of different, um, a lot of different positions, as I said, when I lived in New Hampshire, which is where I was before I, I moved here to Florida, I had a clinic. So I had an opportunity and the experience of starting my own practice. And I had a small uh, brick and mortar building, you know, an actual clinic. And I was credentialed with all the insurance companies in the area. And um, I kept that going for about three, three and a half years. And that was just you? 
It was just me. Awesome. And um, ultimately got myself to a, a crossroads where I was working still part-time at a hospital and running this clinic and, and raising a family and trying to do all of it myself. You were um, saying you were in New Hampshire, you had a clinic, you had a yes. lot of irons in the fire. Okay. Say it again. I said you had a lot of irons in the fire. I had you're a lot of irons time, in the fire. You're raising a family, doing a clinic. Then what happened? Too many, too many irons in the fire. Yeah. I ended up selling the clinic to a local hospital who needed a hand therapist. They had a hand surgeon and no hand therapist. And my clinic was in an area where they wanted to expand their services. So it, I got to know that I had a marketing uh, barbecue and invited the CEO of the hospital and that's where it all started. So I ended up, um, you know, ended up uh, doing that and I worked for them for three years running the clinic and kind of building their hand therapy program and, um, and then decided to relocate to Florida. So relocated to Florida and um, started working at a very busy outpatient physical therapy clinic as the only hand therapist in a very busy clinic. Oh yeah. And um, it was a very different experience for me. I, I uh, didn't realize how spoiled I was in New Hampshire, you know, seeing clients one at a time, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one sessions, and then come to Florida where apparently I'm learning that reimbursement is lower and yeah. And they're um, stacking patients and, a very different type of delivery of care. Yeah. Um, it took me quite a while to sort of get comfortable with it, but I wouldn't say I ever really got comfortable with it and never yeah. really enjoyed it a whole lot. Um, you know, seeing multiple patients simultaneously and trying to really give quality care to several people at once is, it, you know, it's doable, but it's not easy. And, um, and I, I really was not very happy. I mean, it was a lot of burnout. Um, and I knew that this wasn't something that I could do forever. for the long term. Yeah. Like I knew that this was a stepping stone to something else, but again, I was new in the area and, and just kind of figuring out things and, and not really sure yet what I was going to do. And interestingly, I'd say about three, three months or so before I was laid off, I, started thinking seriously about starting this practice and started new. So I put all the pieces together and then, you know, like anyone who's an entrepreneur will know that there's a lot of fear with starting a business. Yeah. Yeah. Will you it know, work? So will it not work? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, ah, oh, is it going to be, you know, am I going to be successful? Am I going to, be able to replace my income? Am I going to, you know, how much money do I have saved so I can do this and be comfortable and, you know, all of that. And so I kind of got a little nervous and I think I put it all on hold and I said, oh, you know, I, I'm happy enough at my job. I'll, I'll hold off a little bit. But I had this shell literally sitting there waiting to be yeah. started. So when I, I was laid off because of COVID, the, the volume declined uh, enough in the clinic that they felt they needed to let a lot of people go. I was not the only one. Um, and that was on a Friday afternoon. And I literally, by Monday, had everything up and going. I mean, if I hadn't oh, done wow. all the other <laughs> Quick stuff, turnaround. 
Yeah, it was quick. I mean, if I hadn't done all the other things, I don't think I could have been ready for business so quickly. Yeah. But so what I, did you end up having to do over the weekend? Were you building a site? Were you like reaching out to referral sources? How did that work? Well, it's also was tricky because I, I had a, a non-compete with my job. So it really prohibited me from reaching out directly to my referral sources. Uh -huh. So I needed to be careful. I, I, you know, with in light of COVID-19, I wasn't sure if that really would hold or not hold. I consulted with um, some attorneys. I've got a lot of them in the family. <laughs> I consulted with attorneys and, you know, basically decided eh, the way it's written, it, it does hold and be careful, you know. So I, I did not directly reach out to any of my referral sources. I, I really spent the weekend building my website is uh -huh. really was the biggest part. Um, building the website and getting my Medicare um, credentialing application submitted, um, getting the banking and all of that set up. So that was really, I guess, what I spent my weekend doing the most and then reaching out to anybody and everybody I knew that wasn't a referral source yeah. or a past patient. Um, and so, you know, reaching out to lots and lots of family members, letting them know what I'm doing, sending them the website, um, spread the word. I'm doing telehealth. I'm doing in-home. At that point, I really hadn't started doing in-home visits because um, really the whole virus thing was, was, I mean, it's still very much uh, a, a concern, obviously, yeah. going into patients' homes. But a month ago, it was even more so, and I held off on that on that piece. But I have started doing that now. Okay. So over the weekend, you kind of just put the word out, got your website up and running. Were you were you already looking at platforms for telehealth, or was that even not a thing? You were just going to build a clinic, and you didn't know what it was going to look like, and then COVID kind of told you you're going to do telehealth. No, actually, actually, telehealth was my goal to begin with. Oh, okay. Um, that was my goal to begin with because I felt that for two things. One is I, I feel like in, in that healthcare is going to be shifting into some technological yeah. areas. And I don't think it's going to be the only thing. I don't think it's going to ever replace hands-on care. And there's certainly a lot of things that you can't do on telehealth. I, I'm not... I'm not suggesting that it should or will replace tell, yeah. you know, a, a in, in clinic. Absolutely. Um, but I think there's a place for it and I think it's going to become more prevalent and, and used more. And in addition, I'm getting older. I, you know, I expect to probably work another 15 years or so before I'm ready yeah. to retire. And I, like that in terms of lifestyle. I want to be able to travel or be with family or a grandchild. I don't have any yet, but you know, I want to be <laughs> able to do those things and, and work with my computer and not be tied down to a physical location. So when I was building this, I had all of those thoughts in mind and telehealth was absolutely my plan. And then decided to add in the, the home visits so yeah. that I have a little bit of both. I also really like working with patients face to face, and I, um, I enjoy, I enjoy hands-on care, and I don't want to give that up right now unless I absolutely have to. So, um, in fact, I'm I'm dressed in my 
my scrubs ready to go to a visit after this <laughs> interview. So yeah, yeah, it's funny. I think I talked to a lot of clinicians and being I was in an outpatient hand clinic as well before I left to do consulting. So the idea of like totally never touching a patient again or never doing that kind of thing is like, oh, I kind of miss that. And I yeah. know a lot of clinicians just have a hard time wrapping their mind around, all right, I'm a, I'm a hand therapist or I'm a shoulder therapist or whatever it is, and I've got all these manual skills. Like, how am I going to still impact patients over the screen? So yeah. since yeah. you were already planning on doing that, sort of like a blended model, how have you found works for you? Like, is there... Is there a type of treatment or type of intervention that you that you kind of go to in the virtual model versus what you would do in clinic? Um, well, honestly, I've been really mirroring a normal clinic setting in on telehealth. And so I try to imagine that this patient is sitting in front of me, which they are, even though it's through a screen. Yeah. And I think, okay, so if this person was sitting in front of me, what would I do and what would I do next? And how can I reproduce that on a screen? And, you know, I try to tell the patient, their hands have to be my hands. And so I try to, I'll try, you know, a, a mobilization on myself and say, oh, well, does that work? No, I think I need to stabilize on my knee in order to do that. Or I think I need to, and I'll kind of try things on myself and see what feels like it's going to work and then teach that to the, to the patient on the, on the screen. So I, I say to them, you know, I can't put my hands on you. You're going to have to do this yourself. So let me teach you where to put your hands. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of, obviously you're getting there, the patients are getting the hands on, they're getting the manual, but really what you're doing is giving them like self-management skills. You're giving them the tools to basically do this on their own, right? So after this telehealth session is over and they, you know, feel a tweak or they X, Y, Z, they can do it on their own and kind of fill right. it in before they see you again. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And then of course, teaching exercises is easy to do on a video. I mean, yeah. People have been learning how to do exercises on YouTube forever. For years, so, yeah. You know, it's easy to show them on the computer how to do certain exercise or how to perform certain exercise, um, you know, and then stretches, that kind of thing. I also, you know, OT is functional. So I always incorporate something functional in the session. I'll usually send an email before the session and say, hey, I want you to gather these items for our session. And you know, we need coins and we need rubber bands and paper clips and uh, a can of soup because we're going to use that for wrist exercises or whatever, um, household items um, so that they can use them for different yeah. exercises. And I have a little basket next to me on the floor of, of my, props. you know, of my props, my typical things, you know, I've got my, I've got my, my light tack hammer that we use, you know, for, for <laughs> forearm supination, yeah. you know, so I, I, I just try to modify things and use household items for, for people to be able to achieve their goals, you know. With, yeah, with, uh, yeah that's tech. awesome. I love OTs being creative enough to kind of do all that kind of stuff, right? Well, that's why I think telehealth is so perfect for OT because you really have to think outside of the box and change the way you're approaching the patient in a telehealth setting. And I've kind of enjoyed the challenge. I mean, when you've been doing this work for 31 years, 
it's not, I'm not saying certain cases don't totally challenge me. Of course, there's always certain cases that challenge me. But clinically, for the most part, there's not a whole lot of super challenging cases. Yeah. It's like, okay, I've seen a lot of those and I've seen a lot of these. But my challenges are now coming from technology, changing the delivery of care, running a business. Um, all of that is very much keeping me challenged. So I think it's kind of interesting how you can change professionally through a career without actually leaving the career and have so many challenges in different ways, you know? Yeah, it's funny. It's one of those, like, as you learn more, as you develop more, you realize there's a whole other area that you can go into or another area that you can go deeper into and build your skills more. And it's, yeah, it's wonderful. I always tell people, you know, I teach at a university. So I tell the students, I'm like, the second y'all stop learning, it's the, the second it's time to go find another job because it's, you know, you can never, never stop learning, especially in healthcare yep. and in OT and all that. So one thing I did true. want to ask That's you, true. since now you're going, basically, you were laid off. So you started your clinic, you started your practice. I'm assuming everybody that you started with, since you were only doing virtual, you were only doing telehealth, you were bringing them on basically without having seen them. They weren't coming into the clinic. So Correct. I didn't have the, one patient, not one patient that I knew before. Beforehand? Not okay. one. So then what was your process? Is it different reaching out to or connecting with or onboarding a new patient for telehealth versus like if they were already in the clinic seeing you and that seems pretty easy. Like, oh, we're just going to set up your visits to be telehealth. Yeah. But what's different about starting a patient's from scratch on telehealth versus in the clinic? I think really, I mean, as far as paperwork and things, you know, there's your typical consents and HIPAA, HIPAA forms and financial policies and that kind of thing that yeah. you take care of beforehand. Is that what you're asking or more clinical? I mean, but clinically. Yeah, clinically. like Doing an evaluation on a computer is very, very exactly. different. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Than doing an evaluation in person. And there's certain things that you can't evaluate as um, formally, you know, like I have my nice little SEMS Weinstein box for uh -huh. sensory testing so that when I go into patients' homes, I have, you know, objective measures, but yeah. you can't do that. So, so, you know, again, it's all about modifying how you do your evaluation and you're going by what the patient describes, what they functionally tell you they can and can't do. Um, and then I'll have them do a little bit of sensory testing. If, if it's a sensor, you know, like I have a yeah. patient right now with a radial nerve palsy, for example. So I'm interested to see how her sensation is changing. So I'll have her, you know, close her eyes and touch herself really lightly along the radial nerve pathway and describe that to me compared to the other side. Or I'll have her like in a bin of rice, you know, doing sensory activities. How does it feel compared to the other hand? Um, when you put your hand in your pocket, do you feel, you know, what's the water feel like when you turn on the shower? Does it feel different? You know, so it's all functionally based and a lot of it is more subjective yeah, than I'm objective say subjective reports. what else am I going to do? You know, yeah. I can't test grip strength. I can't give somebody a dynamometer, but I can say how, you know, can you open a jar? Do you have enough strength to, to do that? Or um, you know, whatever. So it, it becomes more functional and less measurable. And I think it becomes yeah. even more important for the patient to be very much involved in goal making. 
uh-huh. because they have to be able to report to you what they can't do. And your measure of progress is that now they can do it. So, um, you know, it's objective in that you're seeing somebody be able to complete tasks that they couldn't complete before, but yeah. it's subjective in that you can't measure it's just them, but right? <laughs> you can measure a range of motion. You know, I have people go right up to the, you know, to the uh, camera and I put a, a goniometer, goniometer right there. there. Yep. Yep. So I measure that. The biggest challenge with that is getting the patient to understand like where to position themselves yeah. in front of the, so, they can, um, so they're viewing it in the screen and yeah, like they don't seem to get that what they see is what I see. And so like, they're, you know, they're like not yeah. moving in the right way. <laughs> That's the bigger challenge. Actually taking the measurements really not very hard. Yeah, in the screen. It's know? getting them to, to cooperate, right? Yeah, like a shoulder in particular. It's like uh, it's hard, you know. It's just difficult to get that all in the in the screen. But uh-huh. um, you know. Okay, so it sounds like just what you're describing. It it really sounds like the care that you're providing is becoming a whole lot more individualized, right? Because you're yeah. not relying on a lot of standardized testing or a lot of like plug and play stuff. It really is subjective to what this patient's needs are, yes. what they perceive their dysfunctions are, their limitations are in this particular moment in time, right? Right. And it's one hour face-to-face with somebody. Whether it's on a computer or not, my attention is not divided among multiple patients sitting at my table, which is how it, it was it in the be, clinic. Yeah. Um, and that, by the way, before COVID-19 was my primary motivating factor for wanting to start my own practice is wanting to get back to giving one-on-one care and that being important to me and both telehealth and in-home visits it's just me and the me and the patient and I like that well and in your experience you've been doing this for 30 years like have you noticed I mean obviously this isn't research this is clinical experience but any difference in outcomes or patient engagement when you're doing one-on-one care versus, you know, I call them therapy mills where you got patients coming in and they're stacked on top of each other and everybody's doing the same exercises. Like, have you noticed in your own practice, oh, patients that I'm doing one-on-one with are getting better faster or they're needing less treatments or, or something like that? I, I think the uh, telehealth patients I'm finding need less frequency. Okay. Um, and that I think has to do with the fact that it's one-on-one, face-to-face. I'm teaching them a lot of exercises. And then I follow up after each visit. I send an email with a recap of uh-huh. any new recommendations I want them to have. Um, I've been doing YouTube videos for any, any new exercises. So oh, okay. I do little quick little videos and upload them to a YouTube channel. And I send the link to, for each individual patient. I mean, eventually, I'm hoping that that YouTube becomes a library that I can just select the exercises. But for now, I'm still growing. So I'm making the the videos all. So you're building basically a YouTube library that you're going to be able to provide patients down the line, right? So you're developing resources and things. Do you envision that being like a a critical part of your business down the line? Like maybe even a coursework for like treat your own wrist, treat your own carpal tunnel? Or are you just kind of building this up for current patients that you're using? No, I hadn't really thought of doing that. I, I thought of it really as a way to demonstrate 
exercises uh-huh. for my patients. So they've been very specific to the patients and um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make them generic enough so that it'll be appropriate for someone else also and not just one person, but I am uploading videos as I need them. But you know, that's an interesting idea and I certainly can edit them and modify them if I, if I wanted to, to use it in that way. You know, they're not really intended, they're not really intended to replace the guidance of a therapist because I want, and I kind of am trying to say that I said that on my, on the site, that these are prescribed exercises that I'm sending my patients to the YouTube site to use them. At first I was just going to make them private. Uh-huh. And, and the only people that could see them were people that but you sent them you know. to. But then I started making other little videos. Like I just made a little five or six minute video education video on basal joint arthritis, just to kind of use as a, as a marketing video. Uh-huh. I thought, you know, living in Florida, it's a good topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I thought, well, I should put that up there too. So I, I've ended up making it a public site. There's not a lot of activity on it because I'm not sending a lot of people to it. I'm not, yeah. I'm not really like putting it out there on my social media as go to my YouTube site. The only people I'm sending to it are patients. Current clients. And then there's a few people that have found it and you know, and have subscribed, but not yeah. because I, but, but you're no, not trying to build, you're not trying to make a million dollars on YouTube, right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. And there's so many videos out there already yeah. for exercises anyhow. So I just, you know how it is with hand therapy. Sometimes the exercises are funky, right? Like yeah, you exactly. can't find exactly what it is that you want your patient to do. And so I found just making my own little videos was easier than like trying to find one. That, yeah, spending um, hours trying to find the right exercise that you can send them. So yeah. I do want to circle back on that. So you said, and I think this is very important, these exercises are not meant to replace therapy, right? Right. So right. how have you... have or have you even noticed any kind of a challenge to keep your services or your basically your treatment and your the services you provide to your clinician for uh, through your clinical services from being almost seen as a commodity or commoditized or turned into like oh why am I seeing you versus telehealth if I can just go over to YouTube and do all these exercises so have you have you experienced that and if you have like how do you address it? I haven't experienced that okay. or anyone even making a comment like that because when they are being seen for a session, there's so much more to the yeah. session than just that. And and I think they see the value in that and having someone explain it and watch the person do it and be able to correct the technique also. Like yeah. you, you can't do that when you do a video exercise, you just kind of hope that you're doing it right. Um, but when you have somebody watching you do it, even on the computer, you, you know, your technique is corrected or... Yeah, you're getting um, feedback, you're providing feedback, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I'm giving constant feedback. I mean, I'm like, like face-to-face watching them do their exercises the entire, you know, throughout the entire session. And also teaching the manual techniques, which I don't really have a lot of videos on that. Some of them I've started making a little bit, but, um, you know, I teach that on the to the patient face-to-face as well. And it I sounds find like that you're doing a lot of teaching, it. a lot of training that it kind of, Absolutely. kind of covers that. Yeah. And I think that's why they don't need it more than once a week is because for the most part, because they are learning what they need to do. I'm sending them videos 
and then they work on it and then they're you know able to reverse demonstrate it show progress okay great you're doing well with that there's no pain let's progress it so each visit they're they're getting more and learning more assuming yeah. that they're doing better so you know i'm always building on it always always showing value you have to show value in every session uh -huh. by by showing something new you no know? and so that's part of it too you know i don't want to I don't want to sh give them all my information on the first visit. I want to save a little bit um, so that I'm I'm slowly kind of disseminating information over the course of treatment. Yeah, making it more digestible for them rather than, here, drink from this fire hose. <laughs> Absolutely, because there's, you know, we have so much information. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, I just I had a question in it. Let's see if it, it skipped my mind. Okay, so you were talking a lot about the, the coaching that you provide. You send a follow-up email with the exercise, maybe a link to the YouTube site. How do you manage like patient and client communications? Is that, do they have kind of open access to you or do you have office hours or do you check your emails at certain times? Like how, how what's the mechanism by which they're communicating with you? Well, so far, because I'm not like crazy busy yet. I mean, I've got a caseload for sure. But so far, people that are telehealth patients, I'm allowing them just open access. Uh -huh. um, you know, email me and I'll and I'll email you back. Um, okay. And I've had a few or phone calls. You know, I've had a few calls, questions. You know, Claire, can you clarify this exercise for me or whatever? But I view it kind of, it's like a concierge practice, really. Yeah. I mean, I don't use that word when I am marketing or describing the practice, but it really is, it really is like a concierge practice. And I'm um, fee for service, except for Medicare. I am a Medicare provider, but outside of that, people are, are cash paying. And so, you know, that's an investment that they're making in their recovery of their injury. And I want them to feel that they're getting their value. And yeah. I think having access to the therapist during their it's part of the value, right? Is part of the value and part of the service that I offer. That and the follow-up emails. You know, it's a little it's a little white glove service that makes people feel like they're being cared for. Not feel like it, they are being cared for. Yeah, yeah. Um sometimes I'll even send a quick text in the middle of the week. You know, how's it going? Have you, did you do your exercises today? You know, just little things like that. And I think it makes a difference. And, and people, that's a very unusual thing for people to get from any medical provider. Yeah. Oh, so you're thinking about me and I'm not here in front of you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think people appreciate that very much. So kind of on those same lines. So you obviously can't do that in an outpatient clinic when you're stacking patients and they're coming in on, on top of you. Let's just say you're talking to somebody and they're looking at wanting to start that. Any tips that you would give them for kind of adapting their practice from sort of this outpatient, let's just call it the conveyor belt model, to more of a, a concierge or an individual model? Like what kind of things would you think need to be in place? Well, the hardest part is, is getting clients. I mean, yeah. the marketing part um, is, is definitely the hardest part is getting people to know that you exist uh -huh. and to sign on with your with your services but from a business perspective for telehealth in particular you know you need to find a, a telehealth platform uh -huh. um, i i chose to go with a hipaa compliant platform but those those uh rules have been loosened up 
now um, during COVID, but my guess is it will go back to- At some point, yeah, they're gonna want- Yeah, so to me, I was like, you know what? If I'm gonna get this business set up and I'm here to stay, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to like set it up where in a few months or six months, I'm going to have to reset it up with new systems. I just decided just set it up. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so you do need a HIPAA compliant software. You have to decide if you're going to be a billing provider or a, or a fee for service provider. You have to know your state laws. You know, do you need a doctor's order in your state or do you not need a doctor's order in your state? Some, you know, there's different rules and laws. So you need to be yeah. aware of your state's practice act and know what legally is okay to do and what's not okay to do. Yeah. Um, you need, uh, you need liability insurance. I mean, there's a lot of things you need, you, you know, you don't necessarily have to have an LLC or, or an actual business because you can be a sole provider um, and, you know, bill under your social security number, for example, even with Medicare, you could bill oh, really? under your social security. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it, but yeah. you can do it and you'll get, you'll get started a lot faster if you do that. But again, if you expect to grow and you expect to have a business around years from now, you're going to end yeah, up wanting set up to the change infrastructure that. at the beginning. Yeah. And then, you know, you're like, oh, you know, so that was important to me because, when I had my practice in New Hampshire, there were certain things I did to get up and running quickly. And as it started growing, that was part of the overwhelming piece for me was, oh my gosh, Going I didn't back structure and this to grow. Things. Yeah. And I, and so this time I was like, I'm going to do this right from the beginning. You know, you learn from mistakes, of course. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you address the, the tech side for, I'm assuming in Florida, this might be a very broad generalization, but in Florida, I'm sure you're dealing with a lot of elderly retired folks. So have you, have you yeah. experienced like tech issues and is, is part of that picking the right platform that's easier or do people generally have problems with the telehealth platform and how you log on and how you get on the call? And yeah, my platform, it works fine when you're on it and it, it is pretty easy, but onboarding the patient for the first time is a little more complex than I would like. The person has to, you know, have a password and then they have to change the password in order to log on. Yeah. Um, for the most part, people have not had a problem with it so far. Um, I did have one situation where the technology just wasn't working and the screen was freezing and we were, you know, and I said, you know what, you got an iPhone, we're just going to FaceTime the rest of this session. And I know that's not HIPAA compliant, but I know that the rules are a little bit relaxed right now. Yeah. And so I was like, we're doing it. And so we just shut off the computer and we, and we FaceTimed the second half of the session, you know? So sometimes you do have to problem solve on the fly. And I have a few, I have a few other platforms prepared to go. Uh-huh. So if I'm having any issue with mine, I can quickly switch to zoom, for example, or, or something else. Um, that's not in my, in my platform, you know, built in. So. Okay. Have you, are some of these, you know, I haven't messed around with telehealth a whole, whole lot, but are some of those platforms mobile friendly too? Like if you were having problems on the computer, could they pop up an app on their smartphone? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they all are mobile friendly. You awesome. can, you can do them all on your phone. You really have to be able to do that nowadays. Yeah. It's, it's surprising how many, 
companies were late to the like to the mobile responsive platforms it's like no people use their phones for almost everything so everything yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. one last series of questions I have is really about patient expectations. So I know you do a lot of education. You teach the, the clients a lot about how to self-mobilize, how to do the exercises. Do you address patient or client expectations at the beginning of therapy, kind of explaining them the differences between obviously you're not in person, I'm over the computer, like, and how do you manage those expectations over the course of treatment with a client? Um, I definitely give them different instructions at the beginning when we're getting ready to start, you know, this is telehealth. I usually ask them, have you, have you ever had a telehealth session or a visit to, to see if they understand a little bit about what that's like and explain to them how it's going to be different. And I usually use that analogy of, you know, your hands are going to have to be my hands and I'm going to, you know, evaluate you by watching your motion and your quality of motion and, and that there's a lot of conversation in, in it. Um, so yeah, I definitely explain the differences to them so they have an understanding. And then I, uh, like I said, I always make sure that they know what kind of things I want them to have in their house, like, uh -huh. or near the computer so that they're prepared for the session and they have all their, you know, whatever manipulatives or household objects I, I think is going to benefit them. So that's, you know, part of what's different as well. Yeah. That they have to, they have to provide the equipment, not me. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'm actually in the process right now of setting up a virtual store with a uh, North coast medical on my website. So if oh, so I really want purchase, from, again? I said, so patients could buy the, you know, whatever equipment you're using or something. Correct. So if I really want them to have a TheraBand, for example, and I just think that that's going to be the best thing for them, and I can't think of a household object to substitute for that, they can go onto my website and through North Coast Medical, they can purchase things. So um, I'm kind of in the middle of getting that set up. It'd probably take another week, but um, but that should be set up soon. And I can choose what, what items I want to feature on my site. Uh-huh. For people to purchase, you know, edema gloves or um, putty or bands or ovulate splints, whatever, whatever yeah. kinds of want to have on there. So, awesome. Last question. So we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but how do you see telehealth and virtual healthcare delivery impacting healthcare, specifically rehab clinicians in the future? Well, I think ultimately. I think it's going to be a good thing in that patients are going to learn how to self-manage. I, I think a lot of these, a lot of the clinics right now, and, and I get it because I know people have to make a living and, and, and the way insurance companies are reimbursing, it's really hard when you have the overhead of a big clinic. So I, I'm not, putting people down in the, in the model of care of seeing, you know, two or three people simultaneously. Yeah. They're operating within the constraints of their system, right? Absolutely. And they have employees that make decent salaries and they have overhead and they have, you know, a lot. So I, I get it. I, I really do from a financial perspective, totally understand. But I think somehow the models are going to have to change a little bit after this, because I think that, most of the time, people don't need three times a week for eight weeks of therapy. They can learn what they need to do and be followed once or twice a week very easily. And I know 
a lot of private clinics, if they hear me say that, they're going to say, no, my gosh, it's going to kill yeah. my business. And yeah. I, and drop I know revenue, drop it's going to have some financial implications, but I think, yeah, exactly. But I do believe that it's going to be better ultimately for the patients because yeah. I think that they don't need as much hands on care if they are equipped with the knowledge of what they need to do for themselves. And that's not everybody. Don't, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people that don't understand how to do a lot of things and they need that hands-on care. There are definitely acute patients or post-op yeah. patients that totally need that, but that's not everybody. And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, no, I so totally I agree. I've been telling people like the opportunity in healthcare with telehealth, like it's a double-edged sword because I do see the possibility for third payer, third party payers be like, oh, telehealth is an option. We're not going to pay for insert in, in clinic care. And we definitely don't want that. But the opportunity right. that telehealth provides is for us to really provide, like you said, those higher value treatments, that self-management, the self-education, the yes. kind of the, I hate to use the word coaching, but something similar where you're guiding the, the, the client through the treatment service. So I totally agree. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with the word coaching, because coaching and wellness is a lot of a lot of what we do as therapists as well. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's actually a service that I offer too. And most telehealth therapists offer. So let's say, a, you know, there's a lot of rules with state lines and things, you know, like, uh -huh. which, have, which there's also a lot of temporary. Uh, yeah. Stuff going here and there. And, you know, we loosening. got the compact that's trying to get put together. And exactly. And there's, yeah, there's a lot of like temporary loosening of these things, but I can treat a patient in another state if it's not a uh, post-op or if they don't have a doctor's order. So like if you came to me and said, my elbow is killing me, I haven't been to the doctor or anything and I, I don't have an order, but like my elbow hurts and can you help me with that? I can do telehealth coaching sessions and work with somebody not as an OT. Yeah. I mean, I am an OT. I can't take that out of my brain. Yeah, you're still bringing those skills and that knowledge to bear. Correct. But I don't call it, we don't call it OT. We call it a, a coaching session. Yeah. So, um, so there is some sort of fine lines with that as well. I don't think that's talked about a lot in uh -huh. telehealth, but that that is um, absolutely a service that therapists can provide across state lines. So, Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time yeah, and for you're sharing welcome. some Thanks. of the knowledge and the skills you've developed. I will get from you, maybe I'll follow up with you in email. We'll get the links to your, your website so people can kind of come and poke around and get some inspiration. So awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good luck. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I hope you pulled some nuggets from it that you can use. One of the biggest takeaways I had from the episode or from the interview with, with Cindy was the, the idea of self-management and how we as clinicians really need to begin leveraging that in the care that we provide to all kinds of patients, especially those suffering from or experiencing chronic medical conditions or medical conditions that might be in existence and might be in place longer than when they're than they're when they're with us seeing us in in the clinic so i will link to everything in the show notes this will be episode one so you can go to 
rehabupracticesolutions.com and find us there. Until the next episode, be safe, be healthy. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.